listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 225, The Artwoods Art Gallery. And coming to you from the sunny, hot suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John Weird Dreams Matola. Uh-oh. What are you having dreams about? Are they okay to say on the show? So I I was saving this one specifically for today because it had to do with the show, <laughs> which is really which is really weird. Um, you, you dreamed that we're able to actually find a time to record. <laughs> no, but um, actually, no, I I, I daydream of that. But, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> but um, no, it's a really odd dream, right? So I'm going. I, I go over to your parents' house to get some records. You sent me there. You're just like, go over there. They <laughs> have some. Don't let my parents see you. <laughs> Dress cool. all in black. No, no, to knock on the door, not to go, <laughs> not okay. to sneak in and steal them. To go over there and like be like, go, you know, my parents know you're you're coming over there. So just go over there. You got to get these records. I'm assuming they were Deep Purple records. I don't know. Okay, okay. that's. I don't remember my dreams. So anyway, I go over and I, I distinctly remember the back door of your childhood home, mm-hmm. knock on the door, your parents open the door and they, they couldn't have been any less about having me there. They're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> They're like, this is not a good time. Not interested at all. Like, ugh. And then I immediately became uncomfortable. I'm like, uh, nothing. <laughs> and then you left like, what was that all about? Well, now, well, right. So now I was trying to leave and then 17 year old you, hmm. but not you. It was, it was your cousin, but not your cousin, Jeff, that I grew up with. Just Nate's cousin who happened to look like 17 year old you was all like, yeah, you know, when you came running over and you're just like, John, what's up? You know, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> a gravelly voice for a 17 year old or he did. Is it like <laughs> is it like the Patty Duke show as identical cousins? Yeah, yeah, something like that. But I, I specifically remember it was not you, but it was, you know, it was uh, it was one of your relatives. And you were just like you were trying to, of course, nothing. It was nothing like you when you were young because you were very you know, the way you are now reserved, you know, not really like wacky, like, Hey, you know, he was like trying to <laughs> jump on my, jump on my back to get a piggyback ride. I'm like, what is this fucking dude doing? He jumped, so, on, he jumped on your back to get a, piggyback. yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember I was trying to give like bizarro you or like a piggyback or something. You're like, come on, John, let's, let's goof off. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm crazy Nate, you know, crazy Nate's cousin, you know? And, and then I woke up and I'm like, God damn it. What the hell was that? <laughs> You're like, God damn, we're going to find some time to record. So I stop having these crazy dreams. <laughs> that's what that dream. Basically, that's what that dream meant was it's just like quit goofing off and start recording. Um, but yeah, and that's really unusual because I remember that I I'm aware that I have dreams most night that I fall asleep, but I never remember them. And yeah. this was probably the first one in a while that I remembered like any details. And I thought it was interesting that it had to do with us. <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty great. And in the theme of, um, 
people substituting uh, for one of us. Uh, you remember a couple years ago when you came to visit and we all went downtown and we got ice cream and we did like the whole thing. Well, yeah. today we did like almost the exact same thing, but instead of you, we took the dog. <laughs> But we went to like all the same spots. We didn't take her in the antique store, um, but we went around the, along the river walk. She like full on. There was like some duck swimming in the river, and she was like, "I'm going in there." And she like was literally in midair, and I just like yanked her leash back. But she was fully ready to just go right in the wow. drink to get those those ducks. So, are you saying that a couple of years ago I was like your dog? No, it was way easier a couple of years ago when you came with us. You did. I didn't need to have you on a leash. Uh, you didn't crap right in front of the Apple Store, and I didn't have to pick it up. So there was a lot that of you, advantages. I didn't crap in front of the Apple Store that you know of. <laughs> I guess if you did, you. Just, hey Nate, what's that thing over there? You were real quick. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little twirl, curly cue on the on the ground there. Um, Oh, good times, good yeah, times. Yeah, exactly. But hey, folks, speaking of good times, if you want to uh, continue to experience these good times and, and support these good times, uh, the Deep Purple Podcast is 100% listener-supported and ad-free. So if you receive some value from our show, please consider give us, giving us some value back, supporting us. You can support us a number of ways. One is by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Two is by buying some merch on our Etsy store. And thirdly, you can become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month. Becoming a Patreon gives you full access to our exclusive patrons-only Discord and our ratings spreadsheet. You can also donate using dollar sign DPPOD on Cash App or support us on Ko-fi uh, for a mention on the show. So uh, thank you to anybody that does that. It keeps us in good things. We put all the money right back into the show. Uh, we're saving up for a new uh, recording computer, although this one seems to still be uh, still be trucking along. Um, Hang on. So, what's that? It's hanging on. Oh, I thought you said it's hang on. on. Like you had to go to the bathroom or something. <laughs> nope. That's going to be like, John, that you, you didn't know what? five minutes ago that you had to go to the bathroom? Well, I mean, you know, talking about crapping in front of the Apple <laughs> store had me, uh, got, got, got me going there. So. <laughs> Uh, nothing nothing as uh, comforting as that thought. Um, we are going to see Glenn Hughes in September in Worcester, Massachusetts at Ooh. the Palladium. Uh, if you're going to go, let us know. We're planning a small little meetup. You can buy tickets. We'll have links in the show notes. September 19th with Ingve opening. Or, well, we don't know yet. Uh, it's, it's a double headliner. So one will be right. opening, one will be closing. I think they're alternating every other night. So we don't really know until then who's going to be the opener, who's going to be the closer. But uh, come check us out. And uh, we'll be having a little meetup beforehand that we'll shoot out to everybody. Any updates yes, beyond, yes. beyond that on the meetup? Um, nothing, nothing yet. Um, although I will say that, uh, later this month, um, August, um, August 26th, which is also national dog day. So maybe you could take oh. the dog out for a crap in front of, uh, <laughs> what, what business should we crap in front of this time? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I got a, I got a few in mind. Uh, take her. <laughs> I don't know. What's, what's, uh, what's comparable to the Apple store. <clears throat> Well, the Apple Store is a pretty, pretty big company, um, so it'd have to be something big. But yeah, what do they have retail stores for now? That's bad. I don't even go into retail stores anymore, so very, I don't even know what's out rare. there. Yeah, like brick and mortar. You know, just you know, take her take her to the local mall and just have her dump in front of Target <laughs> or something. <laughs> there you go. That's a good idea. But anyway, August twenty sixth, National Dog Day, also in in Worcester, Beyond Purple. 
Oh, that's right. Which is a um, a uh, showcase of biggest hits from Deep Purple, White Snake, Rainbow, and Dio, born out of the Deep Purple family tree. So this is a, um, I guess, like a tribute tribute act uh, that we haven't seen before, but sounds very uh, very compelling. And um, I think um, I discussed it a while ago with Rich. I believe that at least him and I are going to attempt to go. So if um, anybody else is uh, free that night, um, let that's, us know. Um, that's that's uh, no, I think that's um, I think that's my friend Dave Morris's birthday. Erock's birthday is October twenty sixth, right? I think it's in October. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, my friend Dave, his birthday is the twenty sixth of August. Right. I don't know why that sticks in my um, head, but. But um, but this place is at uh, Rascals in Worcester. A good time place for good time people. A good time is place. their tagline. Good time place for good time purple. Oh, so, there you go. If they're not so putting that on the flyers, they should. Yeah. So if anybody's in the area and wants to uh, catch a catch a night of a uh, deep purple family tree music, hopefully um, these these guys uh, look cool. I think we mentioned them like a little while ago. <clears throat> you know, oh, yep, an earlier yep. episode, um, a prelude to this, but, um, yeah, just, you know, hit us up on, uh, the socials or, our, you know, email through the website, whatever, and, uh, let us know. Um, unfortunately, Nate, uh, Nate can't make, the, can't make the flight out for everything. So yeah, there's also Blackmore's night happening in November. And I'm like, I don't know if I could fly out to new England three times and, <laughs> or the Northeast rather three times in, in that much amount of time, yeah. unless we all yeah. of a sudden get like a huge influx of patrons <laughs> to yeah, accommodate. Right. Uh, although the good thing is, I guess I wouldn't need a hotel room, but still. Um, so, um, speaking of patrons, uh, coming in at the executive level, we have at the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis Nakfi and Purple Maniac. Um, we have, of course, at the 15 Squid tier, we have none other than Alan. We have at the $10 Good Doctor tier, Dr. Jill Brees and Dr. Mike Catan. Sorry, still working on that, uh, that jingle. (laughs) Haven't this is like the first time I've literally even been down in the studio since we last um recorded. It's just the end of the summer has just been crazy here. Um at yeah. the turn it up to eleven dollar tier, we have Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgard Martinson, Mickelstein, and Will Porter PhDPP. At the ten dollar someone came to here, Ryan M, Jeff Bryce, Victor Compost, and better call Saul Evans. And at the Hughes Oween by 2033 tier, Fielding Fowler. And at the In Memoriam tier, Gerald Kelly and his wonderful family. Uh, thank you so, so much to everybody. Uh, I did get a, a one, uh, well, not just one, but um, one interesting email that I wanted to, to write, uh, to read. Uh, Ron writes in talking about the blues album, the Glenn Hughes blues album and podcast passing apps. First of all, he says, this album was never designed to be an old school blues record. This is white boy blues boogie hard rock. Think of old school Aerosmith, big 10 inch, reefer headed woman, backtrack train, a uh, backpack wow. train. Um, I mean, those, those were, those were better though. I mean, <laughs> yes. my, in my opinion, arguably, but then he said, um, he's a stitcher fan who went to pocket cast and he said, it's an excellent place to listen to you guys. So pocket cast, I checked it out. It actually looks pretty cool. It looks like a, it, it's a website nap and all that sort of stuff. So looks like a pretty cool place. Um, right. so, so check it out. If you don't have a podcast app or if you're a stitcher fan who, by the time this episode comes out, uh, stitcher will be wrapping up. I think they're done the end of August. So you'll be looking for something. Um, well, <clears throat> I have to say that, um, in, in reference to our, our last episode about, uh, the blues, um, 
I like the uh, the meme that uh, Rich sent to us with uh, Abraham Lincoln, a picture of Abe Lincoln that says, "This is not the blues, Abraham Lincoln." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he said that that loud that line actually made him laugh out loud in his in his uh, truck. So it's like uh, mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was that funny, but <laughs> apparently it was. This, this isn't the blues. This Abe is Lincoln. not Mel Torme. <laughs> um, so um, another interesting thing is. Hey-o! We have an Apple Podcasts review, this time coming Ooh. to us from Lord Gillers in the UK. Five stars. The title of this is Deep Purple and Beyond. Lord Gillers writes in and says, This podcast is a must for all fans of classic rock. Using Deep Purple and its members as a starting point, the podcast covers some of the best music since the late 60s as it branches out to cover the works of Deep Purple and its ex-members. Hosted by Nathan and John in a relaxed, humorous manner, you'll come across some classics as well as some music you've never heard before or forgotten. Plus, you'll have a laugh on the way. So thank you, Lord Gillers. Now, is he the uh, is he the hundredth or not? Is he the hundredth? Let me calculate this and see. I'm oh. sorry, Lord Gillers, you are not the hundredth, but oh. you've gotten us one review closer to the hundredth. Let's just say we're in the home stretch. So um, it seems to be working having this little this little target of 100 uh, reviews. So if you come in and you are the 100th reviewer, we're going to send you some sort of deep purple podcast merch memorabilia something. We haven't decided yet. Uh, we figure when we actually get uh, to the 100, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll contact you. Maybe we'll let you know. And then we can tell everybody what you got. Um, but – yeah, if you're um, yeah, if you're local to uh, the New England area, you could win a candlelight dinner with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, the dream date with John, <laughs> the mystery date. I open you open up the door. I'm there with flowers. <laughs> you know that little game. You know, you open it up, and the little guys there with flowers. You have like the nerd, and you know, yeah, yeah, the dream. Yeah, the dream. Didn't stuff. have like a fake phone too. But it was one of those games. I know it was like a date game that like, um, yeah, it had like a phone and it would be like, hey, Becky, you want to say, you know, like just whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can tell I never played it. (laughs) I don't have any of the details. I seem to remember somebody I knew had it, um, but I can't remember who it was. Um, okay, so um, yeah, really appreciate the review. We're getting closer, so yes, hopefully, yes. Hey, hey, you know, when we're together, maybe we can like write a note on something or autograph something for what we could, or we could just do a big bag of swag. We could do one of our autographed coasters <laughs> for them. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, uh, the, the Gardo is probably having Deep Purple podcast coasters printed as we speak. Yeah, <laughs> we could we could sign yeah. them. Have the Gardo and the Roback and the Shaler, the Shaylor, all sign them. <laughs> Oh, you know, it'd be great. Is it like if we all like signed under like you know, we all signed like the Come Taste the Band album, and then we say you know under each, under each <laughs> yeah, so get a copy of Come Taste the Band, and we all sign it. <laughs> signed by all of us, or just like uh, signed by okay. Pops. <laughs> or he could record a message for them. Hey, uh, you you wrote a review of these um, uh, podcasts, uh, my son. That's more like Christopher Walken, actually. <laughs> <laughs> actually, you know what? I think that could be a good part of the grab bag. Yeah, the grab yeah, bag. Like a personal. This is a turning personal, into quite a uh, quite a quite a treat. We might have to <laughs> a do personal some, cameo. We, we might from have to Pops. do two because I feel like it's not the people that reviewed us years ago. It's not fair to them that they don't get a chance at this. So maybe we'll have to do two. Maybe we'll like 
auction like two of them off. Well, one of them will be for the hundredth review, and then the other one could be for like a random patron or a random listener or something like that. We'll have to we'll have to, we'll put our heads together and figure this out. The cost right, of the well, coasters I, and everything shouldn't be too much, right? But <laughs> we'll I, I definitely think a, well, I think a, th- a cameo from Pops would be uh, a shout out from Pops on the show would be uh, <laughs> just be like, <laughs> hey, this is Pops. What the hell do you want me to say? What am I? All right, to, there you go. Who am I talking to? Is this Blackmore tights? <laughs> Um, is that that Yang Wee guy? <laughs> Yang Wee Shaylor. Um, okay, so um, yeah, we've uh, got uh, just one other thing I think before we get into the real meat of the the podcast. But of course, you can check out deepdivepodcastnetwork.com for all of our brother and sister shows uh, who do similar things to us. All everyone's got their own take, their own spin on things. Some people pull random songs. Some people just pull random, you know. Uh, Albums to review, random songs, or they they talk, they do interviews with people. There's all sorts of different stuff out there. So uh, uh, just check them all out. Um, You know, if there's a band you're interested in, give the podcast a a whirl. You know, I think it's a, it's a, we have a very niche audience. We have a great big audience, bigger than we would have ever expected. So thank you to all of you for listening. But um, you still, it's one is you, you probably have to have some passing interest in Deep Purple to start listening to us. And then two, you have to uh, agree with our shtick. And and many people don't. So they don't listen. And that's fine because our shtick is not for everybody but this is kind of the whole point of this show and our show is just our personal journey our past our present and the future of our journey in discovering new things about deep purple talking about old things the, the, our life along the way so if you're into that and listening thank you very much okay so before we move on we have of course we have postcards from the edge of Connecticut. Now, this one was a little different. So I got this great big box in the mail, and I'm like, what the heck is this? So I opened the box, and um, I saw right on top, I, I, I opened it, I'm like, what is this? I didn't order this. I thought it was something like that Amazon messed up. And mm-hmm. there was a little uh, note that they actually printed kind of poorly and off-centered, so it's hard to read. But it's, uh, it says, what I think it says is, Nate, now here's a nifty little box for you. Store your DPP goodies here. I have something of them for postcards. Hope you enjoy the color from Pete. So you can see it's like kind of cut off there. And uh-huh. then un- yeah. un- underneath it, there's like a gift receipt. And this is a deep purple photo storage box. So, <laughs> Literally. Yeah, so I'm going to crack this thing open right here on the show. And, uh, this is where you're going to put your postcards? Yeah, no, I got. I was actually thinking about that, so he must have read my mind. Or maybe I talked about it on a previous show, but... I, well, you did. You were talking about how you just have this huge collection yeah, of them. Yeah, it's just like, a pile. <laughs> yeah. I, have not, I haven't had time, so you got this. This store's 1,100 photos, so oh my goodness. I've gotten a lot of postcards, but I don't know if uh, I'm going to come close to that. It's got a little spacers and dividers, so that's pretty Beautiful. cool. Um, yeah. You so, can divide um, them by location. Uh <laughs> What's that? You can divide them by location, sort them that way. (laughs) Sort them by location, exactly. Um, So uh, that's not it, though. We got another postcard here that needs me to cue up a different song. So this one, if you can see it, it's uh, which will probably give away who it's from. It's a little painting of Rory Gallagher. And... um, it says, Rock On, born at the Rock Hospital. Rory sang his first notes here on 2nd of March, 
1948 from an original painting by Barry Sweeney in 2013. And this one says, and I got to say, my handwriting is pretty terrible. Um, Pete's is probably not great, uh, but but the Roback's handwriting is amazing. I mean, just look at look at his. Look at how nice and clean his handwriting is. Wow. That's great, right? So much much easier to read than my chicken scratch. It says, hey, Nate, here's a postcard I forgot to send you while I was in Ireland for you. <laughs> uh, full U.S. and Irish postage. So if you look here, you'll see it does. He put an Irish post uh, or Irish stamp on it and then um, probably nice. forgot to mail it. So we had to put the U.S. stamp on it, too, when he got back. Um, it's a, he says he suggests Cradle Rock, which we're listening to right now, off of Rory's Irish Tour 74 live album as a companion track for this card, The Roback. So, pretty nice. nice. And I can't help but notice, I don't know if he did this on purpose, but the beginning of Cradle Rock sounds exactly like Bloodsucker. Did you notice that? I was going to say, was that like a, um, I thought it was going to be like a, um, was it like some kind of like odd version of like Bloodsucker that we hadn't heard? And Nope, but, but here it is again cool. for you. <laughs> Almost exactly the same little uh, little riff there. Um, Very cool though, cool song though. Nice uh, recommendation from the Roback. And I was look. I had this. Um, I had this postcard on my desk, and I was watching this video. And my daughter came along and saw the. But she was like, "Hey, is this the postcard of the guy in the video?" And I was like, "Wow, pretty good, good observation. So it must be a good likeness." Mm -hmm. Um. All right. So that's kind of the all the catch up on that sort of stuff. And here we are today to talk about. The Artwoods. My goodness, I can't believe we're here. Which might be, I think, if we look back, we'd have to look back. I think this might be the oldest full album we've ever even contemplated reviewing. Yeah? Yes, from 1966. Eef. Do you know anything about the Artwoods? Um, wasn't that, uh, that was John Lord's band. Yeah. And I'm sure one or two of these tracks must have appeared on one of those family tree things at some point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw the, um, uh, I'm sorry, we listened to it from the, uh, didn't we listen to it or? Um, I think we did. Th we must have listened. like one of their tracks. Like We did. You know, I, I think it was on one of our. What I want. <laughs> one right? of, we listened to, what was it? Um yeah. Take what take what I want. It might have that might have been it, which is not on this album. I don't think. I think that was a, yeah, that was a single. Um, yeah, because I remember that was because um, you remember that it was on the Family Tree album, and yep. I remember that it was um, it was something that uh, that uh, Paul used to like because he was just like he goes it was it, it's like mid to late sixties, but it sounded so sleazy. He's like I take what I want. <laughs> <laughs> and what I want is you, babe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just like, and he got a real kick out of it. So, yeah, it's just like so many songs that start off with bragging about the fact that the girl was 17. There's how many <laughs> songs like that? <laughs> hey, oh, <laughs> some guy, some guy I follow on Twitter. He's great. He has like a, um, he does like all these, just these little like weird Twitter, uh, not Twitter, um, Instagram, sorry, skits. Oh, and he did one where X. he's like, like every song from the sixties. And it's like a guy in a white shirt with a pa this pack of smokes rolled up in it. And he's like, he's, he's like, she was just 13 and blah, blah, blah. And he's doing this whole thing. And then he's like, because she was 13 years of age. Ha! He's doing song, and <laughs> I think like, you sent that to us once. It's yeah. so creepy. <laughs> 
I mean, it's true. Yeah. But, you know, maybe they didn't have uh, sodomy laws back then like we do now. I don't yeah. know. Things were a little uh, uh, but more lax. When you're talking about Twitter, though, didn't you mean X? Oh, God. Yeah, speaking of that, well, I, I don't want to get too much into it because I'll get a little hot on the car, under the collar. But we're th- we're lucky enough to have almost 5,000 followers on whatever you want to call X. it. But I have not, ever since they changed to the new name of this thing, I have not even looked at it or logged on once. Um, really? So they did a number of things. One was, which I think I, we talked about this in a recent episode, but one of the things they did is um, through my auto poster that where we schedule all the all the posts um you know these i schedule these all they're scheduled yeah. months in advance like informational posts yeah all right? the informational posts um so y- if you're on twitter y- you you may still see these popping up but you'll only see three because they limit you now at three per day because they want you to like pay some exorbitant amount for the uh, on the api like the, the place that's doing our posting would char- charge them like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to be able to do more than that so at any rate we're only posting three times a day, so if you're only following us on that medium, you are missing out on some stuff. I'm trying to get – the auto-posting doesn't work right now on Threads or on Blue mm-hmm. Sky if you're on it. Um, but we are on both of those, so eventually there will be stuff coming up there. But Instagram and Facebook are unfazed. So if you're following us on one of those, we got a lot of followers on both of those. But Twitter was our biggest audience. So, so it's, it's a shame, but I'm not mm-hmm. – you know, I'm kind of done with it too. It's just It's just – unfortunately really annoying and um anyone that's paying this blue check fee is 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 getting priority so you're just seeing a lot of uh knuckleheads in, in a lot of cases just kind of floating to the top of every of every post and so yeah so i've i've not been on it uh in several days so by the time this comes out it'll be weeks um and yeah uh Stay tuned. Uh, you'll still get some stuff from there, but I'm probably not going to be seeing anything if you're responding or or any of that. So, which is a shame because I loved interacting with everybody. But if things change, maybe we'll be back. But since it doesn't cost anything, we'll be sending out three posts a day to everybody, um, and no more. But, than I mean, that. we could still we still can you know if we build up a um, following on our Instagram and Facebook that was uh, you know if people migrate over to there, we could still interact on there and yeah. I'm I'm way more active on those two platforms. I mean, I tried to get back into Twitter when we started this show and I just haven't been great at keeping up with it. I just never was really into it and now I'm kind of glad because it's gone to shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really unfortunately really bad. Um mm. but I don't know. Ho- hopefully uh, you know, uh you know who will have to sell it to somebody for like, you know, a 40 billion dollar loss at some point and maybe we can get back onto it, but seems to be destroying the entire brand and whole platform, which is unfortunate. Um, but hey, who cares? Um, at this point, we're here to talk about the Artwoods. So this was, uh, as you mentioned, John Lord's band. A little backup. In college in 1962, John Lord formed a band called the Don Wilson Quartet, which uh, with somebody named John uh, Don Wilson, I would imagine. Uh, they played mostly covers. They did clubs. They did weddings. They played at like pubs and stuff like that. Uh, after college, um, John Lord ended up getting um, a job. Uh, you know, one of those those jobs that a lot of musicians don't don't have. Um, he continued. They continued on. Oh, actually, where is it? I'm sorry. I'm one one line off here. Um, but he wanted to kind of stay in the music thing, so he the name changed its band. Uh, the band changed his name rather to Red Bloods Bluesicians. <laughs> Good name. <laughs> 
Okay. The musicians were Don Wilson on vocals and bass, Derek Griffiths on guitar, John Lord on piano, and Reg Dunnage on drums. Ooh, Reg Dunnage. Reg, good I old like Reggie that. Dunnage. No, no, Reg. Reg. Reggie. Reg. I like Reg better. Reg. Was it Reg or Reggie? Reg. It was Reg. I like that. I like the way that's like Reg Dunnage. Reg Dunnage. A lot of J. You know, like we were talking about the, the other week, Reg Dunnage, Mick Mars, you know, yeah, like. powerful name. Yeah, I like that. It was probably his real name, too. Yeah, or probably Reginald Dunnage. <clears throat> Mr. Dunnage. Well, that, that was a way to make it cool. It's like, let me take out the Ginald and then. Ginald. <laughs> too many Reginald Dunnage, Reginald Cabbage Dunnage. He's like, don't. Cabbage. He's like, don't. Mr. Dunnage is my father. Please call me Reg. I love that. Um, so, so at the same time, Art Wood was working with his own group called the Art Wood Combo, which eventually broke up. Wilson knew the group and su- uh, suggested that they kind of join forces. Uh, this would have been in early 1964. They continued on as the Art Wood Combo for a while before changing their name to the Art Woods. Um, Don Wilson bought a Lowry organ for John. The band advertised was advertised as a great organized combo. I like how they back then they're like, "Hey, this is my combo." <laughs> like they hadn't decided that band was what they were going to go through go with like yeah. everybody. So they said, "Oh, we're a combo." Hey, well, that sounds more like you would do for for jazz or yeah. or something like that, like a jazz trio or combo or something like that. Uh, well, this is a true combo because it was two bands kind of joining together, which we see a lot over yeah. the years. You know, like that's how the you know episode yeah. six got together. It's how like all these bands got together over the years. Um, so early on, Don Wilson crashed the group's van and broke his legs. Ugh, he was replaced. Legs. Ooh. Yeah, he was replaced on bass by Malcolm Poole from the group The Roadrunners. And then shortly after that, they were offered a recording deal. So that, that I don't know what happened to Don beyond that, but it's a bad stroke of luck. Um, Reg worked at Heathrow and didn't want to quit his day job, so they looked for a new drummer and found someone that we're familiar with named Keith Hartley. Um, so obviously named Keith, they called him Keith. We've we've talked about him because his band came up a lot in the um, Jesus Christ Superstar. Like folks from the Keith Hartley band were always popping up on uh, as being uh, singers and back. Uh, I'm sorry, musicians and backup musicians on Jesus Christ Superstar. So there's a lot of connections there. Um, so he was. Um, he was, they said, the story said goes that they found him in the park just holding on to his drums. And they're like, hey, are you a drummer? And then they auditioned him and he got the job. job. Like, what are the odds? He's just like sitting in the park, probably like homeless, just had all of his drums with him. Um, but a pr- pretty legendary guy in the, in the music scene at that time. Um, so in o- October 1964, they did their first single, Sweet Mary. It was uh, moderately advertised, and they didn't sell very, very well. Um, the band did a residence at the 100 Club in Oxford Street and Cook's Clique in West Ham- Hampstead, which I think is a great name for a, for a club. Cook's Clique. And they actually have a live recording from that, uh, which I have a copy of, too. So somewhere down the road, maybe we'll do. And I, actually, I think we might have played, like, one of the organ solos from that on our, like, Best of John Lord or John Lord in Memoriam or one of those shows back back when. Um, so during this time, uh, John, it, it's rumored that John did the piano tracks for the kinks. Uh, you really got me. It seems like that's mostly been debunked at this point, but he did, he was there and there's a lot of evidence that he played on several other songs on that album, but it seems likely that he didn't play on that song. Although there's some people that still say he did. And wow, then jo- John Lord also, he- was that? 
It would be, it would be interesting if he did. You really it's got a great me. story. <laughs> Instead, it's just bling, 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 bling. And I think we've talked about this before. Like, I mean, I, I could have been the session keyboardist for that song. Um, Very true. But um, uh, anyway, uh, at, during this time, John Lord sat in with Bo Diddley at the 100 Club. And Bo Diddley, Diddley was interested in recording with the band. Um, he was very complimentary of the band. The artist Little Walter said this of the group. He said, I thought white boys couldn't play the blues, but they were playing the hell out of the music. So inflection mm. added by me. Little Walter, uh, a little more... A little more complimentary than Gary Moore was to Glenn Hughes. <laughs> they are not playing the hell. This is blues. This is not blues. Um, they had a second single, Oh My Love. Unfortunately, it did about as well as the first, so it didn't get them too much. Um, mm. In 1965, they started touring with uh, PJ Proby on two tours. And when Mike Vernon at DECA heard their earlier studio recordings, he proposed that they use DECA's studio and record with them. They recorded another single, I Take What I Want, which you <laughs> mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. Came out in May of 66, and it made it into the top 30. So they went to Poland and Paris, and John used his earnings at that point to purchase his first Hammond uh, on higher purchase, which I had to look up, which I suspected, but it's basically kind of like rent to own, not not quite layaway, but just kind of a payment installment plan. Um, and then I then I read he, he cut this is where he cut the organ in half to make it easier to move around this organ that he doesn't <laughs> fully paid for. And I thought, oh, my God, that's kind of crazy that he just cut it in half. And I always imagine when I heard that story that he cut the organ in half, like he just grabbed a saw and sh- 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 did it all rough. But apparently this was a service that they offered. Like you could pay 60 pounds. They'd cut the or- organ in half and it made it easier to transport. You could put it into the back of a van where you couldn't put a full tall Hammond in the back of the van. And then they had it all connected. So when you join the two sections together, all the connections went through and you could actually like uh, rig it up to electric and all that. So it was actually something that they they offered. So during this time, uh, John Lord became a little more critical, a little more analytical uh, when in regards to his playing. Um, of this, he said, I realized I was just playing Jimmy Smith cliches most of the time, like a thousand others. It occurred to me that I could use some of my classic knowledge. I tried to fit Bach fugues into what we were playing, not note for note, but just getting the feel of it. I think we were one of the first groups to use chunks of classical music as an introduction for songs. We used Tchaikovsky and as an intro to Sam Cooke's Shake. So that's kind of the... The, the history, a little background about the band. Um, and with that, we get into the members. We have Malcolm Poole, <clears throat> who I reached out to because uh, I found his contact, but I never heard anything back, unfortunately, because I was trying to get an answer to something. Um, Keith Hartley on drums. Of course, Keith, Keith was the replacement for Ringo Starr in Rory Storm and the Hurricanes when Ringo joined the Beatles. Um, he, uh, like I said, a lot, several members of the band went on to be involved with Jesus Christ Superstar product. And Keith Hartley, uh, the Keith Hartley band was the first British band to play at Woodstock. Um, on guitar, hmm. Derek Griffiths, he did a set, so the London sessions with Chuck Berry, and he was part of the uh, 69, uh, I'm sorry, the, the 1997 um, European tour of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So, kind of interesting. Uh, John Lord, I don't think we need to say much about him. And then um, Art Wood, older brother of Ron Wood of the Faces and Rolling Stones. Um, so, uh, you know, so a, a rich pedigree there. Um, and then on technical, we've got engineer John Maxwith, producer Mike Vernon, um, and then 
The album booklet was printed by Rob Stace. So speaking of the album art, let me get it up on the screen for you. And this is the album color cover of the Artwoods Art Gallery. John, what do you think? Very 60s. <laughs> yeah, groovy. <laughs> Actually, I think I think in one of our really early episodes or maybe the one where we had heard the song from them, you would pull this up before because it had, looks really familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, who is John Lord all the way in the back with the sunglasses looking like he's weekend at Bernie's over there? <laughs> he does. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> propping him up. Yeah, this is a very... Um, I think it's a very 60s but very cool-looking album because it gives you that kind of feel that you don't get anymore from a from a band. This is just like you got, like, five guys just crowded into this, like, garage or shed or something, just all huddled together, just making music. And it's like, the first time I saw this, I was just like, wow, this is, when I was playing in bands and we were practicing, this is what it looked like. A dirty, yeah. smoky old attic or basement. Just dr- crammed in there in a, in, a, in a really uncomfortable way, too close together. Um, everybody smoking. Um, <laughs> just, just there's like old doors and like like panels of wood just sat like leaning against the wall in the back. I mean, it's just a dump, it, it an absolute dump pipe. that they're that they're playing in. It's funny they played live. They could have used like a live picture of them, but they chose this picture of them like in this really raw, dirty practice space. Yeah, but I mean, um, I, I think I think pretty cool. I think the uh, the the guy smiling over here looks like uh, looks just like Richie. I thought he looked like uh, like Noel Gallagher. Yeah, <laughs> except he's smiling. Um, <laughs> yeah, the uh, the guy playing the drums with the cigarette sticking out. If you like, if you look really quick, it kind of looks like a profile of Pete Townsend. Oh yeah, good call. Um, then we got you know Weekend of Bernies over there, John Lord. <laughs> Was he wearing and like we- a? I don't know if it's just the glare. I got a different picture of this too uh, that maybe I could pull up, but um, it looks, looks like, like he's wearing, wearing like a, a striped, scarf or something. Like yeah, like that or a striped hoodie or something. Like it's hard to tell. And it's a yeah. It's he also has no mustache, so it's like impossible to tell that it's him. Yeah, and these these Almost. records get like a, a 300, 400 bucks um, if you can find oh, one. You know, they're they're not cheap. And then you got like uh, the guy next to him on the left looks kind of like Bizarro George Harrison. Oh, yeah, I can see that. That's Malcolm Poole. Yeah. And then the singer, I don't think he reminds me of anybody. Kind of reminds me of Michael Showalter, like a young Michael Showalter. Okay. But. But yeah, so um, I would say, uh, yeah, just a a very, uh, a very cool, gritty looking uh, 60s album cover. Um I think uh, what they were what they were going for was was pretty cool. Like I, I you know, kind of embodies what a, a lot of us like about rock and roll, which is like you said that that dingy basement practice space, uh, not the kind of a glitzy, overblown uh, uh, thing that you know when uh, musicians get really big, all of a sudden it's like not about that anymore. So. Yeah, you gotta you gotta kind of respect the fact that they they didn't try to sugarcoat it. Like this is this is just very real, you know. Uh, anybody that's been in a band can relate 
especially as a young person can relate to this <laughs> this oh, yeah. uh, situation they're in you know like i'm i'm in the studio doing a, a, a crummy little podcast and this, this is like the, my surroundings are a thousand times better than any place i ever practiced whether it was dan's basement or scott and dave's basement or mm-hmm. my basement <laughs> it was always it was always a some dumpy place that was you know a concrete floor or just a creaky wooden floor uh you got the slanted ceiling you know this old like this uh Looks like some sort of like heating vent or exhaust vent that's just hanging up by rope from the two by fours. <laughs> just a- there, there is there is something about that though when you're in that kind of atmosphere as like a young band or a struggling musician that's just kind of like yeah, really badass. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I, I like it. It's it's yeah. I I always enjoyed that. I always enjoyed being in non glamorous uh, practice spaces. It's good. Yeah, it's a good thing you did. <laughs> We didn't have many other options. That's all we had. <laughs> Actually, the, one of the best places we ever played was your basement because it was like finished basement, you know? It was carpeted. Oh, there was a pool table. There was a TV. Um, even though the yeah. Beegins had a really nice house, like their uh, their basement was just a concrete floor. It was not very, uh, you know, you, you had a one little patch of rug that you could put on the drum set so it doesn't slide around, but that was about all you had. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's the front album cover. Um, then you've got the kind of the DECA front and back labels there and then where's the uh here's the back of the album so this is the interesting thing and this is what i'd written uh this is what i had um got to bring this over here because it's hard to, to read this sometimes um this is what I'd reach out to Malcolm Poole about for clar- clarification, because this whole thing is is reportedly written by somebody named Pontius Elbows, which <laughs> I suspect is not a real name. Uh, but I really? can't find any information about like, wh- I mean, obviously, it's not a real person. I, I if it is, then that would be the best possible story. But uh, yeah, there, I can't find any explanation as to what if that was in reference to anything or if they were just being uh I, I talked to Jerry Bloom about it. he said he thinks they were just you know being random boneheads and <laughs> just making up that name for a laugh which is oh, quite yeah. possible I mean, we, yeah I mean we would do that we would do that shit all the time oh yeah like we'd make up people and everything and you know put them on the put them on the quote-unquote album cover you know just to be funny yeah exactly but um this one is extremely British, so I'll see how much I can get through of it. But um, well-known in pessimistic cycles are the highly fed but stumped-off Artwoods, who as a part-time hobby play music and other scintillating message. They are five in all, or Tito, but often appear as a hero of (laughs) Hippopotami in Denmark Street, where the well-known Southern Music Recording Studio, and some of this is like kind of ripped, so I can't read it. Especially in the wet season, many times the blah blah blah. So yeah, so it's just them being going off and being completely silly. Um, I don't know that this answers. It, it ends with "Let us all then be as one." Two are frogs and loon. I, I don't even know what the hell they're talking about. So it would it would make sense that they would use this um, Pontius Elbows name to for this bunch of nonsenses on the back here. Um, but yeah, if you if you're interested, we'll have this in the show notes. You can read for yourself, and if you have any theories as to what the Pontius Elbows thing means, I suspect nothing. Uh, just let us know. Um, so that's the uh, that's the album art, and um, yeah, with that, um, I think we're ready to get into the tracks after we uh, thank our next level of patrons. Um, so speaking of which, coming in at the seven dollar and seventy seven cent 
keep us key uh, keep <laughs> keep it warm rat tier trying to do too many things at once Michael Vader at the six dollar ninety nine cent new nice price tier we have spike the rock cat and sugar tea at the episode six dollar and sixty six cent tier we have Steve Coldwell um Arthur Smith We have Anton Glaving and Charles Meadows at the $6.65 Almost Evil tier. Kenny Wymore and Michael Bagford at the $5.99 The Nice Price tier. Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, and Carl Helberg at the 60 Kroner Scandinavian Knights tier. We have, uh, where am I? Zwapper the Electric Alchemist and Newt Morton Johansson. At the $5.55 What's Going On Here tier, we have Richard Fusey. At the $5 Money Lender tier, John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Elman, Alexei the Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zern, Cynthia Doobie, Raf Kaff, and Coyote Bongwater. All right, so thank you to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. So here we go. We are ready to get into the tracks here. Uh, there's 12 tracks, but this is an album from the 60s, so they're, for the most part, short in the mm. two to three minute range, most of them. Um, right. So, um, yeah, so we should be able to get through these in a, in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, whereas the 12 tracks on the, you know, the 12 tracks here are probably 30 minutes and the 12 tracks on the blues album were like 65 minutes or something. Yeah. So, um, so it's a very yeah. of its time 60s album, which we know is not necessarily your wheelhouse, but this is or mine, <laughs> but this is a pivotal album in the in the history here. So uh, we're ready to get into it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what it brings. All right. First track up is called Can You Hear Me? Very, I know there's mono versions of this, but this is very panned in the two. What are they saying? It sounds like there's a can you hear me and they were going yet but I don't think that's right <laughs> come to my house we're gonna have you so this guy is kind of sleazy right yeah we already knew that <laughs> I gotta look up some lyrics. Here's, here's uh, Mr. Lord. Wow, you can tell it's him. Yeah, it's great. Obviously, doesn't have the distortion, but has the feel. Yeah, but I mean, you could—you know—you could just tell by the way he's playing that it's him. It's very cool to hear. Very early John Lord. 
According to the lyrics, it's Can You Hear Me? Yeah. And this album, mm. uh, I'm sorry, this song was written by Alan Toussaint. He's already had more solos than he had on House of Blue Light. <laughs> He's going nuts in the background there. worth mentioning at this point that every song on this is a cover. Oh, is it? Yep. Which is pretty... What are they covers of? Typical at the time. Well, this one is Alan Toussaint. But I mean, was it like um, songs of the time or like blues standards or... It's a good question. Um, I know or songs this one... from like 20 years before. So they're like songs from like the 40s or... Well, this one is Alan Toussaint. It looks like. Um, see if I can find it. But I didn't know if it was. We had um. There's a Toussaint Baudry, who's kind of the. The the Baudry that came over from France, and spawned all of us lower Baudrys, as the history goes. Mm-hmm. So let's see when this came out from Mr. Toussaint. I can't find anything on his Wikipedia about it. But anyway, what do you think of Can You Hear Me? Uh, very creative lyrics. <laughs> no, but... Um, Can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I would, uh, I think it's pretty cool, uh, but, uh, you know, I'll give it a, I'll give it a 2.5, like, you know, middle of the road. I mean, um, I'm trying not to... I know you said, oh, it's not really a wheelhouse, so I'm trying not to listen to it like, okay, here we go, like, late 60s album, everything's getting a low score. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to listen to it with open ears. But um, I do like that it's, um, you know, uh, it kind of got that blues-based thing that, like, uh, that's one thing that I do like a lot about a lot of the kind of 60s rock is, is that it was very blues-based, but not in a... Uh, you know, not in really like a kind of a the same way that it it got later on. Like when, say, like the the Glenn Hughes album, like the early '90s, when people started to get like quote unquote bluesy. Like this felt more authentic. You know, yeah. Like these guys were trying to be in touch with their roots, and they're trying something different because rock and roll was really kind of newer at the time. And um, you know, you got the the singer who's doing that kind of um, you know, they all they all have that similar um kind of voice, you know, that kind of uh, uh, Yardbirds lead singer voice, you know, where it's just sounds like just like a guy singing, you know what I mean? It's like right. nothing really, uh, you know, you haven't gotten into like uh, Ian Gillen, Robert Plant, people like that quite yet hadn't come around. So, um, you know, it, it's, um, you know, except for the addition of John Lord um, that we know you know, he's in there. It's really nothing um, groundbreaking about it. But um, yeah, so far, so good. We get to hear an early John Lord solo, which was really cool. Yeah, um, I will give it a 2.5 as well. Um, it's hard 
rating stuff like this, you feel like you almost have to rate it on a curve because it's, you know, this is a early, early, early stuff in somebody's career. Um, and, uh, you know, this is not 100% fully formed. It's probably done very quickly, all that sort of stuff that we've talked about a million times. But yeah, it is It's it is that, you can see what you're saying. It sounds a little more authentically bluesy, whereas 20, 30 years later, people would be doing it a little... Almost mm-hmm. like a, it's almost like a more of a wink to the camera sort of thing when they're doing a or 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 just like the don't 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 Well, I or maybe yeah, I like that wink to the camera. I was thinking more like watered down. Yeah, um, you know what I mean. It's like because we talked about ad nauseum with the, the the Glenn Hughes blues thing. It was just kind of like ah, we're doing the blues. The album's called Blues, and when you have to kind of like yeah. Tell people the genre in advance, it feels a little forced. Well, I just feel like when you have kind of advances, like in, uh, or when you had like subgenres around, like uh, you'd had uh, synth pop and hair metal and, uh, you know, keyboards and all that kind of technology had taken off to make those really, <clears throat> excuse me, like 80s, you know, kind of sounds or more like kind of futuristic type of sounds. Um, or, you know, people were kind of getting more and more kind of like overblown with the effects and the sounds and everything. It was almost like the focus was off of the, um, you know, the kind of the roots of the music itself and just kind of being like, oh, well, we know, like, I'm a musician. I know the blue scale. I know. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so I'm going to do that. Whereas like, you know, these guys were closer to it. I mean, when they were, you know, they were born like, you know, in the, in the forties. So, you know, they grew up in the, 50s and 60s with like uh you know uh you know the these blues musicians that everybody was influenced by like actually being on the scene and like uh guys like Elvis coming out and kind of uh influencing them in a more of a stripped down way so that's why I think it even even if there are like a hundred copycat bands like this it's it still sounds like it's more you know authentic I think yeah I think that makes sense so the uh, it was originally recorded by Lee Dorsey and released in 1965, so this would have been right after that. You know, it probably had just come out. And that's kind of the funny thing that we talk, we've talked about before, too, is like a song will come out and then somebody will like release a cover of it like a month later. And it's like, yeah, it's so weird. It seems weird these days. And every so often it will happen these days, but it just doesn't, it's, it's not anywhere near as common as it was there to just be like, oh, yeah, me too. I'm putting that song out too. Because <laughs> oh, I think yeah, it, me too. It, it comes from that like, uh, that tradition of there being songwriters and artists performers. And I think the the idea of the performers being the songwriters didn't really become the norm, I don't think, until the Beatles. Because even the Beatles on their first few albums had tons of covers. And mm-hmm. then eventually and you but they wrote their own songs. And um then it became kind of understood that bands would do that. Yeah, they might do some covers, they might have some help with the songwriting, but they're not going to just put out other people's songs. People like Sinatra mm-hmm. and stuff always did it, but I think that was maybe like, this was at the dividing line when that was happening, so. Um, okay, <clears throat> the next track up is a song called Down in the Valley. Down in the Valley. <laughs> in case you didn't believe me. <laughs> Jeez. Goyle and Goyle. 
It's weird hearing him do all those Lordisms on the organ, but it's just such a more mellow tone to it before they started distorting it. Yeah. Nice to hear him so present in the song, though. This is a good groove to it. I like the groove. I mean, a lot of it has to do with John Lord. Yeah, I mean. Nice. This was first released by Solomon Burke on the album King of Fools. Hmm. <laughs> that bend didn't quite. It was, like, <laughs> it was almost like went into like dog whistle territory. You couldn't hear it anymore. Yeah. and Solomon Burke wrote this. So Burke would have been the performer. Oh, and Otis Ridding did a version in 1965, so that must have gotten it some popularity. I feel like this was a very John Lord-inspired ending. Yeah. Like the way they ended that song out sounded a lot like how they ended a lot of the early Deep Purple songs, so I feel like Lord might have been influential in that like hey guys we should do the whole you know (laughs) all right what do you think about this one i'll give down in the valley a three um i thought that was pretty good um it had a it had a good groove to it. You got some uh, John Lord in the verses there. I really think that he had a he had an influence on how they ended that song. Um, but yeah, it's a, it had a cool groove to it. And I, like I said, I like hearing, like I like hearing the early stuff mm-hmm. uh, from the members of Deep Purple where they're actually represented, where you could just be like, oh yeah, I can tell that's him, rather than it's like, oh he's on it, but there's like <laughs> nothing of like the musician that I know and like these days. Like I mean, you know, I'm not expecting him to sound like. You know, he did on like Flight of the Rat, but I mean, <laughs> you know, um, but it, it's it's cool to hear them like in the the early stages and like, you know, one of, uh, you know, his first bands. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's very much him, though. I also give it a three. Um, I think it's got a really good groove to it. I think 
yeah, it gives you a great window into what would what he would be getting into later on. But really, and it's it's great that he's like kind of the he's the premier soloist in this band, and for good reason. Obviously, he's um, musicianship wise probably uh, head and shoulders above the others. Even though a lot of you know the other guys went on to do great stuff too, but he he seems like you know it's no mm-hmm. mistake that he's the name that's that was the big name out of this group and Keith Hartley, of course. I'm okay. Next track up is Things Get Better. Here we go. Another song, just over two minutes here. It's really cool, but man, the guitar, it sounds like somebody's just like plugging something into an outlet and it's like, like it's buzzing, like probably was. It just has this really just like, I mean, I know that was the sound of the day and the recording of the day, but that distorted guitar just has like no balls. It just sounds like a, like a bee. (laughs) It's like, I think this is the early this would have been the early days where they were still achieving that sound by like ripping up the speakers yeah this song was written by Eddie Floyd Steve Cropper and Wayne Jackson And um, Steve Cropper was actually on an episode of uh, T-Bone's Prime Cuts. I bet T-Bone would actually have a lot of background on the song because he's like a walking Wikipedia of music. ending there all right things get better by the legendary floyd cropper wait floyd cropper jackson yes wayne jackson what do you think of that one i think things are things are getting better um (laughs) i think i'll um i think i'll give that one a um i think i'll give that one a three all right um I, i like the i like the energy of the song, like during the verses. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was interesting. It's interesting to hear because like I said, I know that they was during that um, kind of turning point where like they were trying to make the guitars really distorted and heavy, but man, it was just, I don't want to say it was bad. It was just like, it was interesting to hear it try and be distorted, but it was like, you know, just this kind of one dimensional. And then just to think about how 
guitars would sound in like another couple of years. Right. So um, right. kind of wild, but, um, but yeah, I thought it, I thought it had a good groove and a good energy to it. The, the song as a whole. This song was first uh, um, recorded and released by Eddie Floyd in 1966. So the same year that this came out. So mm-hmm. again, uh, they were, doing these <laughs> covers really quickly after because this came out the same year. Um, so there you go. Next one is Walk on the Wild Side. I do not believe this is a Lou Reed or Velvet Underground or whatever cover. Uh, but here we go. Walk on the Wild Side. This is a atypically long song for this era. Wow. Yeah, five and a half minutes. You promised me two minute long songs. (laughs) Well, I think the rest of them are pretty much more on the shorter side. This one was written by Elmer Bernstein and uh, Mac David. It's an Elmer Bernstein uh, film composer. Yeah, didn't he do like um, Ghostbusters? Did he do Ghostbusters? He did Psycho, didn't he? I, I think. No, no, that was somebody else. What, Psycho? Yeah, no, did... Psycho was uh, Bernard Herrmann. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, he did do Ghostbusters, you're right. And the Blues Brothers tr- trading place. It's funny, he started off with the Ten Commandments, the Magnificent Seven, <laughs> the Great Escape, and then ended with Animal House, Blues Brothers, trading places, and Ghostbusters. He went from, like, the big dramatic blockbuster to, like, the comedy blockbuster later on. Yeah. a nice groove to it. This this sounds like soundtrack music, you know? This was arranged by um, Oliver Nelson, jazz saxophonist. This was the title track, uh, the title track of the soundtrack for for the movie Walk on the Wild Side. Hmm. It was uh, the film's opening and closing credits. that they'd have like a long instrumental on this first side of the album. Oh my God, are they doing the album drum solo? Okay, no. Thank goodness. But they're kind of giving John Lord a a little space to play. That's That's acceptable. That's okay. They got a great energy to them. I think the production on this sounds like the production on albums around this time, which is not to say not that great. 
But from what I read about this band, the live or the recorded stuff did a hard job capturing what they did live. But I'd say Art Wood had a lot of energy in his singing, and the whole band sounds pretty energetic. Of course, John Lord would have been like 25 when this came out. So to him, still killing it. Still killing it in the early days. Oh, that's such a deep purple thing he's doing there. <laughs> Rattle the tubes. Guitars matching them there. Tambourines coming back in. I mean the sleigh bells. Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> it is sleigh bells. <laughs> you're right. The sleigh bell player is uncredited. It's funny that this band is not called like the John Lord Woods. <laughs> Maybe maybe because that's a terrible name, but it's like John Lord is clearly if if Art Wood is not the guy writing the songs, I mean I get I get that he's the singer, but this is like this seems to be John Lord's seems to be the head of this band yeah. quite clearly mm-hmm. from a musical standpoint. Um, all right, things get better. What do you think? Is it thing? Did I give it a? Is this things get better? Yeah. No. Oh, sorry. It's a walk on the wild side. Okay, because I was going to say I already rated that. All right. Yeah, I think I my, my rating got erased there. So. Okay. So um, yeah, I'll give this one a three point five. All right. Um, I mean, yeah, great example of uh, some early John Lord and just uh, trying to li- listening to him doing what he did a few years later, but with like less power behind it was just really interesting especially that part where he was like going up and we you know we would have heard he was like, just like you know, putting his palm on the keys and going just like slowly dragging his palm yeah. across the keys it's like, like you know what he was going for but yep. they didn't have the they didn't have the equipment or the technique for it to sound like he probably wanted it to and even but I, I, I like after that, I came to appreciate it for what it was. You know what I mean? Because especially when the guitar came in after that, it was like, bing, 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 bing. You know, yeah. it was like everything is just so tinny, so, so wimpy. Sounding. Yeah, 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 totally. But I mean, I'm, I'm like, but not comparing it to 
what we know is going to come a few years later with with everybody sounding that way. It's like, yeah, I get what they were trying to do. And for that time, it was probably really heavy. Right. And unless you were the Beatles or the Rolling Stones in 1966, you're not getting, uh, you know, your production is probably not going to be quite at this level. They just didn't have the studio time probably to even do it. They plugged everything in, probably right. did everything live. Um, but but you yeah, can, you can hear the. You can hear the the passion. You can hear mm-hmm. the energy from these youthful musicians. Yep, absolutely. I will also give it a 3.5. I think it's really interesting. I, I liked how at the end of that thing where he's going, and he also did like this big chromatic run, like he did one of those. And mm-hmm. I, that would be clearly the point where he would tip the thing back and let the tubes rattle. And he didn't quite have that in his arsenal. So you could hear, I don't know if it was done after the fact or at the time, but it sounded like they just turned up the reverb at the end. And it was like, and you heard this kind of like, um, it sounded like a spring reverb or something, just where everything was kind of, rattling around again so yeah. he, he's like he knew it was coming to this big climax he didn't quite know how to achieve that um mm-hmm. big sound at the end the, the way that he would years later uh, but yeah. yeah really interesting i think just as a historical artifact alone this is really really interesting to listen to uh, okay the next track up is called i keep forgetting Keep forgetting that you don't love me no more. <laughs> almost, almost every song starts keep with the title. No I keep forgetting that you told me and this is a uh, Lieber Stoller classic. But my stupid old feet just hit me your street like they've done so many times before. And this stubborn old fist. You don't love me no more. I keep forgetting you don't want me no more. So this was first released by Chuck Jackson in 1962. There's a Gillen song on Chirkazoo that this part that that's reminding me of and I can't think of it because this is playing but you don't love me no more I keep forgetting you don't love me no more how do you forget I think it just comes back to the fact that even though these songs are all written by different people, Artwood is setting himself up as a creep. <laughs> it's like, ah, <laughs> the doorbell rings, bing bong, you open it up. Ah, it's you again. Oh, I keep forgetting you don't love me anymore. It's like, get out of here. <laughs> this album should be called Restraining Order. <laughs> the Artwood's Restraining Order. <laughs> I don't think they had those in 1966. Keep forgetting you don't love me no more. I Listen to that muted guitar that no more. I keep forgetting really weird sound. No kind of a ominous ending there. 
or it's mm. like, or it's like being sarcastic. Oh, I keep forgetting you don't love me no more. Okay, hey, I'm not causing any trouble. <laughs> All right, what do you think of? I keep forgetting. Um, kind of, kind of funny. Two point five. <laughs> Two point <laughs> kind of silly. Yeah, there wasn't really, uh, there really wasn't too much to this. Um, yeah, but it was, it was, it was silly. I got to um, I got to listen to Cher Kazoo tonight so I can figure out what Cher Kazoo song I'm thinking of mm-hmm. that this sounds like before Scott Haskin can email me and tell me <laughs> or text me or whatever. He's always like on he's always on top of that stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a really. Uh, I don't know. I really like this one. I'm going to give it a three. It's our first right. divergence. Not a huge one, but um, I like it. Um, I, it's like you can see what they're going for with this and. You know, we talk about the what ifs a lot, but what if they had a little more money, a little more time in the studio to make this thing really pop? I mean, and then, of course, the age old question. What if they wrote their own material? That would have been really interesting to hear. Hmm. But Here we go. Last song on side one. Keep looking. We got two like White Snake style forgetting and looking. Sounds like church organ right now. I'm so happy to be here today. <laughs> Sounds like church. <laughs> John's rolling his eyes. Answer to your problem in life. If you're ready right now, we're going to solve it. And this is all you got to do. <laughs> Keep looking till you find. Took a turn. This is another one okay. by Solomon Burke. When you don't lose it. Looking for some money to win. Keep looking till you find it. When you find it, don't quit it. Keep looking. John Lord Stamp is all over this one. Yep. That percussive playing. Sam a lamb. This is groovy. This is like, see, like the dancer in the cage, you know, with the flowers <laughs> painted on their torso. <laughs> Big guitar back there. It's kind of a droning song, but it works. Kind of sounds a little bit like Rod Evans when he's getting excited. Sam a lamb. Here it Here comes. comes. Keep looking, 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 keep looking
All right, John Alon, what do you think of that one? Uh, you know, I'll actually I'll actually give it a three after that weird opening. Mm. Yeah, the opening was not promising. Yeah. Dearly um, beloved. <laughs> I mean, Prince <laughs> can get away with that, but... <laughs> not Art Wood. <laughs> not Art Wood. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was, um, yeah, there was a lot of good, uh, I gotta say like John Lord is elevating this album, you know, yeah. he is, he's the star. Yeah. He's, uh, it's, it's the, it's the John Lords. Yep. The John Lords featuring John Lord. Mm-hmm. John Lords, the, f- the John Lord featuring John Lord. Richie Blackmore's rainbow. <laughs> um, I'll give it a three I'm- as well. I I think it was like once it got into the groovy 60s, yeah, you know, cage dancer part, I really liked it. But yeah, the the beginning 30 seconds, I think, could have quite easily been stripped out. But Uh, cage dancer. Yeah, you could have done with all that. Goldie Hawn with the suck it to me. (laughs) Um, All right. Uh, The next track. So we're going to flip this disc over this record over. And the next track on the first track on side two is one more heartache. Again, this is a situation where it's like that could be like a real in your face organ riff, but it does sound wimpy. So, this song was first recorded by Marvin Gaye, Motown, 1966. Hmm. It was written by the Miracles members Bobby Rogers, Marv Tarpin, Pete Moore, Ronnie White, and a gentleman named Smokey Robinson. Oh, it's... uh, I thought he said a house you built of toothpaste, but he said toothpicks. That makes a little more sense. Toothpaste? <laughs> I know, it's like not very... Even the Three Little Pigs didn't try that one. So a lot of these songs... The earliest song so far was released in 1962 but most of them were released earlier the same year. It's almost like they were just like, hey, what's on the radio now? Let's learn these songs. So so weird. Oh, I like this. Nice groove. I really like that little middle part. That was really, really nice. Mm. 
that's another one that uh, reminds me of something on uh, Chirikazoo. I guess Gillen was probably... Li- I mean, it would make sense that Gillen and Lord were listening to a lot of the same music at this time. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right, what do you think of uh, One More Heartache? Um, I mean, my sheet closed again. I keep those sheets son open. Son of a son of a bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I'll give it a I'll give that a two point five. All right. Um, it was it was okay. I mean, eh, stuff is stuff is not bad. Um, it's not terribly boring either. You know. Um, I think it's somewhere in between so far. So not one of the maybe one of the better '60s things that we've listened to. Yeah, you got, I mean, you got to figure this album's almost 60 years old. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I think it. I mean, it's hard for almost anything that old to hold up this long. But I'll give it a three. I really liked. I love that middle part. I love the like they just cranked up reverb on the vocals, even though it's kind of like it's kind of like. Uh, I don't know, empirically bad. <laughs> you don't want to do that, but it it makes it sound so much of that time, like that just overdriven reverb. Like it's like one of those things like if you're a producer and you really know your craft, you can break the rules, but this sounds like one of those situations where it's like they didn't really know mm-hmm. they weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> you could probably yeah. make it work if you knew you weren't supposed to do that, but you did it anyway, but they're like didn't know you're supposed to do that and did it. That's kind of the the feeling I get. But anyway, three from me. The next track up is a song called Work, Work, Work. And this one was written by someone named Naomi Neville. And Naomi Neville is actually a pseudonym for Alan Toussaint again. His mother's maiden name. So if he has online banking, we could probably crack into it. I can find nothing that will suit me right. A little spot of labor, not trying to show it. But everything I find seems too much hard work. Somebody to love, love, love. Now you're talking about love, love, love. All right. Given uh, wow. Mr. Mr. Griffiths a guitar there. solo. Pretty good. I like it. I need a little spending check I like the bass line. I ain't seen a quarter since who knows when. And the and the guitar kind of mimicking it. But all they ever do is 
Talking trash. Is that an expression in the 60s? It is now. I would say this song is a little tedious. <laughs> work, yeah. work, work, love, love, love. What was that song like a few years ago? Work, 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 work. I don't know that one. <laughs> I just know work by the, uh, uh, from Hamilton. You better work, 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 work. I don't know, it's some hip hop thing. <laughs> I don't know, these damn kids in their hippity-hop music. <laughs> hippity-hop. It must be that Snoopy dog that did this one. <laughs> All right. John, what do you think of work, work, work? 2.5. All right. You're, you're holding pretty steady there. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I agree with you. A little tedious. Um, although I have to say, I'm uh, for 1966, pretty impressed with the guitar solo. Yeah, it was good. I mean, it was, uh, you know, holding up there with, with other guitar greats of that time, I would say. Or guitar players. <laughs> Not greats. <laughs> well... Maybe. Yeah, I mean, maybe. it was definitely yeah, maybe it was it's a not, standout. It's not exactly Jeff Beck, I guess. But <laughs> no, but I would say like it. It, it was a. Um, it was. It was maybe a, a tone or a type of solo I wasn't expecting to hear. Yeah. On this album. Anyways. And if, if he had better equipment and mics and pr- production, it could have really even. I'm sure it was just mm-hmm. a one take. They all did it live, so pretty mm-hmm. impressive. Um, I will give this one a two. I, it kind of just work, work, work a little. I, I got a little tired of it. Not not my favorite. Uh, not my favorite song ever. But let's see if the next song is my favorite song ever. This one is called "Be My Lady." Ooh, I already. I very upbeat. I like it. This is another one written by Steve Cropper, along with Jackson Jones and Dunn. Assuming it's a, well, maybe not. Must be an instrumental. Ah, it's Booker T and the MGs, of course. I've heard this before. This is off of, um, uh, I don't know. I can't think of the name of the album. I know Paul had this album and we would listen to it. Written by Booker T. Jones, Steve Cropper, Donald Duck Dunn, and Al Jackson. Ooh, Duck Dunn. We've heard of Duck Dowell. Now we've got Duck Dunn. What's that? 
Did he work with Eric Clapton? Uh, let's see. Donald Duck Dunn. American bassist, songwriter, and producer. Member of the Marques. I don't see Eric Clapton, but it's quite possible he did. Keep looking. <laughs> He's got 19, 916 credits, so if only the song was a little longer. Another great solo. He was the bassist for Eric Clapton for Clapton's appearance at Live Aid in 1985. See? Don also played himself in the Blues Brothers in 1980. He's ranked number 40 on Bass Player Magazine's list of the 100 greatest bass players of all time. Hmm. Not too shabby. Another grooving instrumental, a little shorter than the last one. What do mm-hmm. you think of uh, Be My Lady? I'll give that one a 2.5. John, you're so predictable. Uh, <laughs> fine, four. <laughs> no, 2.5. I'll give it a three. I like the grooving. So I think this is a, I think this album has a vibe. It's one of those ones you can... Again, it's not going to be at the top of anybody's best albums of all time list, but, um, you know, you put this on in the background to achieve that kind of 60s vibe. And I think mm-hmm. the best thing about it is like you could put this on to have it be like, I want the feel of the 60s, but I don't want it to be like all the hits everybody knows and all the versions everybody knows and people to go, you know, you people just be like, oh, this has a 60s sound to it. But I don't quite I'm not quite putting my finger on what any of it actually is. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I would choose to play it for. I don't know what situation would require that, but that's what I would use it for. Um, all right. So um, it's funny, that other song I keep forgetting when I was Googling it. I just came up with the uh, the Michael McDonald version kept coming up. I keep forgetting that I'm in the same again. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, was like not, I couldn't get past that. It was hard looking, looking mm. at stuff. Um, okay. The next track up is... If you gotta make a fool of somebody, I don't know why you would have to, but if you have to, listen up. There's instructions here. <clears throat> this one was written by Rudy Clark. This was first recorded by James Ray in 1961, so our earliest song. I like Malcolm Poole's bass on this. I don't know, like he might just be staying true to the originals, but it's good bass playing. About you. 
another lord. I think he's had a solo on almost every song. Maybe every song. Yeah, one one uh, one way or another. Said right some kind so. of feature. Mid-80s Deep Purple should have used that same tactic. Yeah. My opinion. It's <laughs> a little funny little ending. All right, John, do you have to make a fool of someone? Well, me, because I'm going to say 2.5 again. <laughs> You're acting a damn fool, John. It's, I mean... Yeah, it's, uh, it is what it is. Yeah. It's not, you know... This is, it is what it is. It's not, it's not interesting at this point. You yeah. know, I'm just like, you know, it's just, it's songs. <laughs> you know, nothing's really sticking out now. So I think we're getting a little, getting a little fatigue here. I'm glad these are all very short. <laughs> It'd be great if the, you did a, like a whole album and you're like, eh, not really into this album, but I got to release it from my contract. I'm like, what should we call it? Songs. <laughs> <laughs> the Artwoods songs. Yeah, they're just their songs. Yeah, this is my, I was as inspired by the album title as I was by the work. Um, yeah, yeah. 2.5 for me as well. Uh, nothing uh, nothing to write home about. Next track up, Stop and Think It Over. Ooh. A little tasty guitar. Almost sounds like it's double tracked, but I don't think that would. I'm so tired of living the life of a fool. I'm so. Now, this is the blues. Of breaking my Hell yeah. <laughs> now, this is the blues. Maple Drake. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> it was first released by James Crawford in 1965, written by Nat Jones. Wow. In my past, I want to tell you now, baby. I don't think it can last. I'm going to stop. Think it over. It's kind of like the... So Nat Jones is Nathaniel Leon Jones, an American saxophonist. Hmm. He did play the organ on "I Feel Good." He was in. The, he was worked with James Brown. And interestingly, there was a drummer for James Brown named Nate Jones. So that must have been Nathan, Nathaniel Jones and Nate Jones in the same band. Uh-oh. Hilarity must have ensued. It reminds me of that uh, Nate Bargatze bit. Have you ever seen his stand-up? Yeah. He's good. He's talking about at the airport where he's like, it's like your 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 you know your name on your license says Nathan, but it's it's Nathaniel on your on your boarding pass. And he's like, it's not the same. He's like, yeah, but yeah, but it's kind of the same. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I didn't want to tell this guy that most people call me Nate. It would just blow his mind, you know. <laughs> I 
it's it just I'm getting just vibes of mistreated on this one. Like the dynamics of it, the bluesiness of it, the stops. Mm-hmm. That guitar in the beginning, his screaming is the way he's he got a lot of passion in the vocals. Oh, he said stop and it stopped. Kind of caught me off guard there. Oh, all right. <laughs> you got stop and it stopped. What do you Was think of uh, stop and think it over? Mm, let me stop and think this over. You know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to give this a 3.5 because one thing that I noticed was, is like you had those dynamics and you had the, the passionate singing, but if you were listening, it was, yeah, (laughs) it was, it totally was. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you didn't hear that. Yeah, you're right. You, You don't hear that unless you're looking for it. That is much closer to the blues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's what it's all like. When you said, like, this is the blues, it's just like, I know you were saying it. It's just like, yeah, like, if you want to call something that, like, this is the closest thing to it that, like, a bunch of white guys could be doing. <laughs> yeah. And, like, sound, like, authentic. Um, so, yeah, this one was, uh, this one was good. This one was a, um, this one was a good lazy blues song <laughs> yeah it wasn't i wouldn't even say it's lazy i think it would, it's an energetic hard-working blues song i've right. given it a 3.5 i toy with almost giving it a four um really like it uh just like the energy and the passion behind it just really i mean uh, that's kind of what i'm looking for i mean i think these guys had so much potential um and you know obviously this is the only album they ever put out so um which leads us to the album closer Don't cry no more. Had some bad candy. <laughs> I think it's. I know it's past its date, but ugh. Sorry about that. I like this part. So far, I'm leaning towards they should have ended with <laughs> stop and think it over, but. Uh-huh. This is Don't Cry No More, written by um, Diedrich Malone. Great organ solo, obviously. You hear the people in the background? Yeah. Oh, there's people it's upstairs like, yelling. Na 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 Do you 
Hard time finding out who did this song. Oh, it must be Roy Head. Any relation to Murray? (laughs) Roy Head. (laughs) (laughs) It just sounds filthy. So does Murray Head. I don't know. There's something about like just one syllable and then head. Maybe you said like Bill Head. (laughs) (laughs) Another 1966 song, too. Sorry, there. I get. I'm assuming they went with this because it's probably a set closer for them. Sounds like it would be a great way to close out a show. Yeah. All right. Wipe some sweat from my brow. That was, uh, don't cry no more. John, what do you think of don't cry no more? Damn it. Sheet shut down again. What is, wrong? what is going on with the sheet? Why does it keep shutting down on you? I don't know. It's just doesn't want me to review anything. All right. And don't cry no more. Um, <laughs> good closer. I give it a three. All right. I will also give it a three. Because it had that, you know, the, whatever you call it. Na 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 Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's what they were going for. I think you said like kind of a an album, album closer, show closer, sing along, something to yeah, you know, hype people up, go out on a high note, and I think they did. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well. There you have it, folks. That's art, uh, the Artwoods Art Gallery. Okay, so while John fumbles with the spreadsheet, I'm going to fumble with our patrons, and namely the ones that we can thank for supporting our show, which is all of them. Um, at the foundation level here, we have at the three-pound aromatic feed tier, we have Simon Ford. At the $3.33 halfway to evil tier, we have Stephen Sharp, Duncan Leesk. At the $3 nobody's perfect tier, we have Mr. Peter Gardot. Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback. Stuart McCord. Ivan Fieldboo. 
Runar Siemensen. JJ Stenard, Ruinous Inadequacies. At John Maselli. You're a good kid. Michael Boyette and Corey Morissette of And the Podcast Will Rock and other shows, of course. At the $1.71 I Want My Own Tier Tier, we have... Rich, Young, we... Shalom. At the 10 kroner tier, Karsten Lau. At the one pound tier, Lord Longford. At the $1 made-up name tier, we have the down-in-the-gravesite Leaky Mausoleum, Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic, Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashenal, <laughs> Ashenal, Ashen Lionel, <coughs> Blackmore Tights, and Steve Down to Earth Kohler. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. All right. Well, we've done it. We've reviewed the album. There is only time for one other thing. All right, John. Where does the Artwoods Art Gallery stack up in mm. the list of albums that we have reviewed? Well, sadly, it's uh, it's toward the bottom. Yeah, um, not not hard to believe. Hard five, hard to compete against albums of the you know yeah. even five to six years later. Just how far production yeah. had come. Five point seven five combined rating. Um, so it is. Um, yeah, it's uh it's a little bit below Blackmore's Night. Can't believe that one. And um <laughs> and Fandango. A little over Fandango. Of the Joe the Joe Lynn Turner variety. Correct. Of Fango. Yes. So it's um the yeah, Empress Fandango is a few spots above it. Right. It's it's like within the top ten like bottom albums, mm-hmm. or the bottom ten, I'd rather, albums, which um but I would say overall there's um just kind of looking at some of these, um, I would say, um, down here that it's, um, you know, falls in that category of like, yeah, there's like a couple of tracks on here that, um, that are pretty, uh, that are pretty good. You know, I think, like you said, it was historically, uh, important. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a better kind of a sixties or blue ba- blues based sixties album than, you know, we've reviewed yet. But, you know, it's it's going to it's going to fall pretty low based on our, um, you know, our overall preferences, I think. Yeah, not not too not too surprising there. Yeah. Uh, mean, Jeff Bryce yeah. sent over a bunch of uh, scans of his album and some articles and stuff that helped me put together the notes for this. So just a big, big appreciation to Jeff, as always. Um, album did not hit the charts. Not surprising. 
Um, they were a huge live act. Um, and one of the articles, I can't remember where, which one I read it from, but they said that they were basically a live act on par with the animals. So they were pretty big in the scene. Like people, hmm. uh, you know, really had a lot of respect for them live. In early 1967, Hans Bregel and a German symphony orchestra from Frankfurt approached them about the idea of writing a special piece of music together, like a, you know, some sort of concerto, perhaps. It didn't happen. Um, and I think we had talked about that a very, very long time ago on our concerto episode, that even as early back as the Artwoods, mm-hmm. uh, Lord was toying with that idea. Um, they were considered like an R&B scene, uh, an R&B band, and that scene was kind of fading at this point. It was more uh, giving way to rock acts. Um, Keith Hartley left the band uh, shortly after this, and he says, it was a nightmare. I was always unhappy and got the sack in April. I was given two weeks notice. He was replaced by Colin Martin. The group set out to Denmark only to get there to find out that the tour had been canceled. But the promoter got together and got some last minute gigs for them. Um, and then they would follow up with him the next year in 1968 when the new group Roundabout was looking to do some shows in Denmark, including their first ever show. So it's kind of a connection there between who booked the um, the Artwoods and the early Deep Purple. Um, at the end, uh, the Artwoods recorded their last single, What Shall I Do?, and they even started writing their own material before they disbanded. A promoter named Jack Baverstock um, was looking for the band where he could capitalize on the gangster craze uh, that was coming up around the movie Bonnie and Clyde. And it's funny that even at this point, they're thinking of like these super gimmicky things for bands. Uh, but then the Artwoods accepted this and they changed their name to the St. Da- Valentine's Day Massacre and they massacre and they all dressed up like mobsters with the pinstripe suits and they had the Tommy guns and all this sort of stuff. Um, and they recorded their one and only song, um, Brother Can You Spare a Dime, as St. Valentine's Day Massacre before they disbanded. Um, so um, John Lord says about those uh, about that gimmick and the, the suits and everything. He said, I felt ridiculous. We all did. Um after this, they disbanded and John returned to session work for a little while before he would obviously form Deep Purple. So um, there you have it. That's kind of it. There's uh, th- this CD release that came out in 1995, I think, um, that's got this whole album plus 14 additional tracks because they're so short. Um Thanks. So, yeah, we've so including the basically this is all like all of their singles and all that sort of stuff. So plenty of arts art. Art Woods, art gallery stuff to uh, explore in the future. Um, but yeah, interesting, interesting dive into the into this era and the and the backstory behind, uh, you know, what John Lord was doing before he teamed up with the Deep Purple folks. Mm. And there you have it, folks. <gasps> the Art Woods. John and I did it. You yeah, found we, a time to record and we did it. We hooray. We did it. Um, we, we bought ourselves another week, but ho- soon the children will be back in school and summer stuff will be over and it'll actually for some reason be much easier. So we've got two difficult times every year now. The summer, the last two summers have been really difficult. Yeah. And uh, December. <laughs> so we've yeah, got to well, figure out well, it was, it where was, we can bank the stuff in advance. Well, it was funny because last, last uh, November, December wasn't that bad. Or we, which one was it where we were like coasting along kind of in the before the holiday and we're like oh this is great and then mark and pete wanted us to record and then everything just fell apart the week before (laughs) both of our lives completely disintegrated (laughs) right before christmas i was like ah and i was like thank god we have our episodes banked but yeah we unfortunately we we had to cancel some i i and i've been trying to uh 
uh, Clay and Rye have been trying to get me a North by South all summer. And I'm like, guys, I really want to. But I'm like, me and it's like me and John have to have a show out in 48 hours and we haven't even recorded it yet because it's just been so crazy. But it's been good. It's been a lot of fun. It's just been a really hectic summer. Yeah, I just feel like, yeah, the past couple of uh, past couple of summers have been getting progressively more difficult, which is um, but I think it's, um, you know, that there's stability you know, when the fall comes around, yeah. like you for, you know, kids going back to school. And I, I think just, you know, somehow in both of our lives, that just brings a lot of stability. My family goes home because they always come home for six weeks in the summer. So there's just yeah. a, always a lot going on and you want to cram in as and much. Yeah, you don't want to miss that family stuff. Yeah. Know? And I mean, you know, neither do you, you know, there's this, you know, trips and activities and everything that, that we both do. And you don't want to miss any of it while you have the opportunity. So it's... um. But um, but yeah. Well, we need to in the in the fall. I think we need to find out like a day of the week, like a day where you and I can like have like say every Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, whatever. We can do like a morning show or something, so like we could just like have that in the bank mm. to like just have something. I know we both have wacky schedules, but if we could co- coordinate, even if it was every other Friday or every other Thursday, whatever yeah. it is, a, a day where we could both be there and just have that as like a insurance. And it's like, if we need it, great. And if we don't, we don't have to do it, but then we could start banking some episodes. But anyway, this is this, nobody wants to listen to this. This is like our, we should, this is our official podcast meeting that we can talk about later. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, John, thank you so much. Great listening to some, uh, sixties, uh, Groovy 60s music with you. Yeah, baby. <laughs> it's my award winning Austin Powers. That was even worse than my normal Austin Powers. Award winning. Yeah, baby. Very Randy. <laughs> <laughs> Do the Oddwoods make you horny? <laughs> very Randy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Award winning. <laughs> Deep Purple Podcast Award. Yeah, I won't tell you what award it is. Mm. But. All right. Well, thanks, John. I will talk to you later. See, See you next week, folks. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Well, I'm busting out the spreadsheet. And I'm fumbling with the tabs. Was he with us? Peggy. Oh,